All right, and we're a go. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Empathic Futures Lab, the show where we discuss human-focused futures for the environments in which we live. I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. Uh, and today's episode, it's a little late, sorry about that, but you know, with the holiday weekend, a little chaotic, sort of a midweek recording, so we're both a little exhausted. Uh, so what we're going to do here is do a sort of a quick lightning round discussion about, you know, anything that comes to mind. You want to kick it off? Uh, I guess. So I think I posted this piece, uh, let's see, like just 10 days ago on <laughs> on our website okay. about about robots. And I guess I wanted to get your take on it. So my question is, I think, yeah, designing empathy part two, should robots be empathic? That's not my question, though. Um, <laughs> my question to you is, um, how, what role do you see uh, any robots in general having in, in our environments? Like, do you, what impact do you see? Uh, them having because I guess that was one thing that as I was writing this I didn't really I wasn't really thinking about much is like what the actual impact is in the future that these things might have whether humanoid or otherwise oh yeah uh, what that might be I mean I, I suppose there's always that whole uh, iRobot thing right it's like Asimov with his with his human servants that go around and Will Smith is really unnerved by these guys. Uh, I, I, I guess me personally, I wouldn't mind having a robot clean my house. I, that'd be fantastic. It's kind of a mess. Um, yeah, you get a little Roomba or something smarter than that and have it vacuum, have it mop. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it could take care of all those mundane tasks around the house that people don't want. Clean the toilet, do the dishes. Um, I guess it could do some of these other things like walk the dog. But to a certain extent, wouldn't you want to walk your own dog? Um, <laughs> and you got a dog, you have a relationship with the dog. Um, but I suppose that's a mundane task. It can to be. To a certain extent. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that'd be, that, that's what I would want my robots to do. I want them cleaning. Maybe that lacks imagination, but that's, that's the pain point right now, right? Yeah. I think um, one thing that, uh, sort of what I wrote to, and I kind of, that came up in the in the article that I was responding to, which is really good and really long, actually, was robots as a companion, a human companion, which I thought was kind of weird, um, and it plays. I think it has a minor impact on our environments in terms of like your social interaction within spaces, like you know if you want a robot companion in your house or you know, otherwise someone to go out to dinner with like a robot escort. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, I mean, I guess, you know, for those of us who live alone, like myself, I, someone to hang out with and play chess with or something wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Um, I'd feel a little weird taking a robot out for a date, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's cause that's, that's, I guess, once you have to deal with the public perception of you doing something like that, that's when it starts becoming kind of spatial in my mind. Mm. Mm. Um, when people interact, so. people are in, when people are in close proximity with you, it becomes spatial. Yeah. 
I think otherwise, I don't know if, I guess I don't know what the spatial connotation is. Unless, like you said, it's just purely functional. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. There's just a question I guess that popped in my head. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. Proximity becomes spatial. Um, I don't really know where that goes, but um, to a certain extent, yeah, if someone sees you do it, I don't, I don't really have a response to that. All right, yeah. next question. Next question's from you, right? Yeah. Um, one thing that I've been doing recently is, well, not recently, over the past, like, six or seven months to a year is just they have all those online classes like Udemy, Udacity, Coursera, uh, whatever, Free Code Academy. Um, I've, I've, I've started and stopped probably like three or four classes on Udacity now. Uh, the free ones, of course. Um, got me you haven't thinking, finished any? I haven't finished any. I'm, I'm close to finishing the Python one. It's kind of a refresher right. of my Python skills. But that was easy because like, I'm not learning a whole lot. It's a refresher. Um, the last two, the reason why I started was a free one on what is VR. I might actually continue that. Kind of enjoyed it. Um, and then the other one I thought about actually spending money one on was um, Foundations of Data, of, uh, Foundations of Deep Learning. Right? Yeah. The AI machine learning kind of thing. But that got me thinking, like, what, what would I actually want to take a class on at this point to like kind of supplement my architecture career or what would you what if you could go back to school and take a class or get like a you know a mini degree or a certificate what would it be in what would be useful right so we've talked about this briefly um, I think really quick answer for me to this question would just be uh, I really want to get into data mm -hmm. analysis mm -hmm. so sort of some base foundational classes for that would be helpful as well as um, some some programming. Why, why uh, data? Why data? Why data? It's a kind of a buzzword these days, right? Well, I think we talk about it a lot as something, at least in our writing, and I don't know if we've gotten into it too much here, uh, but in our, like, our creative ideas, and I think I want to actually be able to walk you know, walk the walk and talk the talk at mm -hmm. the same time. <laughs> feel confident that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but on a more, on a higher level from that, just uh, data in general, I, I think it's something that we talk about is uh, being able to know a place better uh -huh. or like, in, in some ways, objectively know an environment better, you can make better decisions about uh -huh. the way something should be, or um, you can make a more informed decision. Uh -huh. um, so I think that's probably one of the big drivers. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And that brings up all sorts of questions, like, are you the one who's designing or collecting the data? Are you the one who's designing how the data is... Uh, visualized right or are you doing all of that i don't know I, I think i think collection to visualization is definitely something yeah it'd be interesting to see uh, not knowing how the industry breaks down on a normal occasion how many people do both the visualization and the collection and what 
do people do all of that all the time? Do people do only some of that? I think briefly experience with our G at KT is that the people there do both, mm -hmm. um, which is definitely, definitely uh, what I would be interested in doing. I think, I think that there's, I guess, um, nuances to, obviously there's nuances to how you do both and, um, you know, why not just learn the full spectrum? Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot to unpack, right? Yeah. So. I suppose. Or potentially a lot to unpack. No, coming from someone who doesn't know a whole lot about the field. Um, yeah. I imagine there's a lot to unpack there. Um, now, for me, Oh, I, I think I'm going to pursue this VR thing. The thing with, like, these... I think the thing that makes it hard with these classes, whether it's data analysis or VR or UX design or um, whatever else there is, Android development is another one that I've seen a lot, is, like, I think here when we're talking about, like, what we want to do at Empathic Futures Lab, it's, it's all of this very multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary, or transdisciplinary, however you want to put it. Anti-disciplinary. Anti-disciplinary, yeah. We're against <laughs> disciplines. We just want everything to be together. Sure. Fluid. Fluid. Fluidity. And that's probably the way the world's going. Discipline, dis disciplinary fluidity? Disciplinary fluidity. <laughs> I, you don't identify with any disciplinary. You are all of them. Uh, yeah. Um, you'd have to be a smart person. You'd have to be a very smart person. I think you'd, you'd have to be fluid but specialized, which is almost where we're at now, but maybe slightly less boundaries. Whereas none of the, none, maybe none of the toe-stepping that you see occurring now. You don't want to step on toes. You don't, you don't want to have toes to step on. You want to be able to walk freely. Yeah. Um, you were going somewhere, though. I was going somewhere. Uh, yeah, I think the one thing about these code that's kind of holding me back from taking a lot of these classes is like if I'm spending money on them, especially it's like, if I get a career in this, am I back in where I am now with architecture where, you know, I enjoy architecture. Don't get me wrong. I love designing. I love, I love being part of the conversation about how spaces influence people, how spaces need to look, how spaces need to feel, how spaces need to function. But if you start another career in another field, is it the same thing? And it's that it's it's sort of this. It's just as restricted. It's just as restricted. It's just in it's just as siloed. It, well, I think that's like, why you have to you take these online these individual online classes, right? And obviously, you go into that knowing that you're not going to necessarily become an expert, but you're going to know enough to get something done right. on your own. Be a part that, of the conversation. That augments that augments your previous expertise in architecture. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I think if I were to take one of these classes, I wouldn't call myself a data analyst, you know, primarily that right. wouldn't be. Well then, you know, but then the problem is like, what, what do you go and do with that? Are you just going to sit there and have it, but like work at a job that doesn't necessarily leverage that skill, uh, just by the foundational principles of the field it operates in or, you, do you transition to this next career, but then lose what you enjoyed about the last career, which is kind of unfortunate as well, right? Well, I think altruistically, you look for something that accommodates your interest. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Sometimes that's difficult, right? 
Yeah. You can't get everything, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff, if it's interdisciplinary, it's suited more towards academia anyway. Yeah. But that's, um, at the same point, I don't know, kind of a cop-out to a certain yeah. extent. And, and no, it is, of, like, because it's... Some you know, people it's the do really. It's going to give you money for the research that you want to do. Yeah. Well, some people really are and do useful things with academia, and I think some people just sit there and kind of hang out in la la land and use it as cover to just kind of sit and do what they want. So I don't know. All right. Well, if what you want's good. Ah, all right. Next. If it's productive. If it's produ- if it's productive, then you're not in la la land. You're like actually kind of in the real world, right? Yeah. And that's the point. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do, I guess. Yeah, but no, maybe not what it always does. I don't know. All right, the next question's for me, right? Yeah, you got one? Uh, I think so. So recently you posted an article on our blog. One sec. I have a little burp. Okay. Okay, I had my burp. Um, <laughs> like a burp, sneeze, cough button. <laughs> just, just just probably, probably scared some view, our listeners with that noise. Well, our one listener might be able to get it. <laughs> hey, we got like 13 downloads on that second episode, or episode one. That's pretty good. I'll take it for now. I wonder how many of those were us. I didn't download it once. I think I downloaded it on iTunes. I don't know, though. I wonder how many of those. The part of it. I'd love to know how many people actually listen to it after downloading it. Yeah. Um, you know, comment on our stuff so we know. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. Anyway, your question. Oh yeah. So you had an article about. Let me pull it up. Uh, on design, writing our future. Okay. Yep. Um, I think I read this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I yeah, think you I did read this. I, I remember you mentioned talking about it. Okay. Um, so I was just wondering if you could expand on your thoughts with this. Um, and so do I have a specific question? Um, That's, that seems rather vague. Yeah. No. Um, okay. Can you... Because we're doing this this competition, right? Yeah. Suppose we could say that um, this fairy tales competition, where it requires some sort of narrative to be written yep. about a designed environment. Yep. Um, so, with that in mind, um, we've gone through really briefly the process of starting to construct that narrative, uh, and you wrote this whole article about writing our future. Um, I guess what is well just can you summarize your take on writing and how it applies to okay. design? Yeah, so this was stemmed from I don't know, for some reason I so I recently signed up for Medium um whenever Wait, the, you have to the, sign up for no, it? No, well you have to get an account. But I signed up for the pro version because I kept reading out reading my like uh, premium content in like a week, first week of the month, and then I wouldn't be able to read some of these articles anymore. So I was like, screw it, $5 a month, that's that's worth it to read whatever I want. Um, but for whatever reason, Medium keeps 
sending me or like suggesting all these things about how to be a professional writer, how to be a freelance writer, how to make money on writing. Like, you know, I read them, I enjoy it, you know, we're kind They're trying of... trying to trick you into writing for them. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe they are. They want more, maybe they want more authors. Um, yeah, but I, I've been reading them because, you know, I, I do enjoy writing and I do want to write for our blog. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's empathicfutures.wordpress.com. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I do enjoy writing, but um, what got me going about it was they were talking about how to write well, what links good writers, and some people were, some, some of the suggestions were like, you just have to write what you know, right? You have to write, um, you have to write what you've experienced, you have to, if to be a good writer, to a certain extent, you have to like, be able to empathize with the people you're writing about or the perspective you're writing from. And we also need to do that, in my mind, for design, too. Um, I think that's always kind of what we're striving to do, anyway. Like, well, if I sat in this restaurant, you know, I, would want, I wouldn't want this over here. I wouldn't want this chair over there. I wouldn't want this waiting booth right next to my booth that I'm sitting in. You know, things like that. And uh, yes, yes, as human beings, we can actually make some of those judgments. Um, but that's, I think, as designers ourselves, as professionals, we're also somewhat, we're also biased in these decisions. We're biased by some of the rules of thumb that we've learned over the years or things that we've learned in school from theory class that ought to be right, um, but perhaps aren't quite right, uh, aren't quite descriptive of how people actually operate or feel in a space. Um, so that got me thinking if, you know, if, if design and writing, I think, are, are very similar in, in their goals, you're trying to cre construct some reality uh, for people to exist in, um, writing obviously potentially extremely fictional experience or fish, uh, f fictional reality versus you know, architecture, a very real reality, but you're still constructing the bounds of it. Um, yeah, I, I think you just have to know what or who you're designing for really well. And looking at my life, I am not entirely sure that I know who I'm designing for all the time. I am my own person. I have had my own experiences, and on top of that, I am uh, quote-unquote expert in my field. I mean, obviously I know a lot, so maybe quote-unquote it's a little misleading. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, but, yeah. What what do I know, or how much do I know about the everyday person to the extent that I could tell a story convincingly from their perspective? And how do you solve that? How do you get around that? How do you know these people better? Do you go out and interview them? Do you talk about yeah. talk to them on a daily day basis? Uh, to a certain extent, you know, we get away with not doing that and designing successful spaces because someone has probably done that in the past or gone from uh, working a side job to working an architecture job, um, whatever. But, yeah, I, I think it's beneficial to, to be able to walk in their shoes, yeah, talk from their perspective. Um, that, that's where that came from. I, obviously, I don't do a great job of it myself. I don't know if anyone really does I think there it's probably few and far between um, 
And I think if we look at the entries to the fairy tales competition in the past, so many of them are just, it's a little unfortunate because it's, it's sort of, they're all, I think they're all written from the perspective of architecture. Uh -huh. Um, which, you know, it's kind of, it's what the competition's asking for in a way, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's so often about almost fantasizing about space. Fantasizing of, space. Instead of, you know, being concerned about the experience of an individual in the space, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which yeah. that, I don't, the whole, the whole idea of an individual perspective, it's not, it's not something new. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and and how it and how and how that influences how we design, but yeah, I, mean, I think that's always the risk you run um, in being you know an expert in your field or a sub professional in your field, and so you do run the risk of fetishizing the thing that you work with the most often or every day or you know. Um, I'm reading this uh, book misbehaving it's a book on behavioral economics and i think i mentioned mm -hmm. this previously um but yeah he talks basically about how behavioral economics um and part stemmed from <clears throat> his interest i think his name is richard thaler or something like that stems from his interest in how economics actually works for people like a descriptive model rather than a theoretical model of economics um, because he was seeing some of these econ economists get so caught up in, in almost fetishizing their theories about economics. A person, a person who is rational and educated in economics should act this way. Therefore, we're going to model the world this way. But, you know, people aren't educated. You know? People aren't right. necessarily up to date on how they should act or they're not willing to do the math on what actually is in their best interests. Um, they don't want to figure out um, the true incentives or the true costs behind something. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a human thing to not spend the time to do that. And that's pretty it's much, right. it's much more complex than theory usually allows it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could theorize about these these behavioral things too that's what behavioral economics does it's just it's a different theory it's less clean yeah it's, it's less rational it's, he's like talking about it as almost like a psychology thing which it is it's it's multidisciplinary right it's and it doesn't as soon as you talk about people you talk about multiple disciplines yeah, yeah. they don't know you got another one do i have another one i did what was it Shoot, that, that really got me off track. Now I don't remember my question. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, this one's kind of goofy. So I suppose you, have a, you could make anything in your house smart. What would okay. you make smart? What do you think would be the most useful for you to be smart? Um, one of the things that I've been needing for a while is a dispensary for my guinea pig's food. You have a smart dispensary? Yeah. Lacks imagination. But anyway, can go <laughs> elaborate on this. <laughs> um, maybe I could come up with a better one. Um, no, so yeah. we'll we'll talk about that one real quick. So, just to, like when traveling, 
or whatever. Um, went away to a be able to monitor and um, uh, provide for my pet while I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not. It's not such. It's not a pet that you need to walk or something. So it doesn't. He doesn't necessarily need me around as a person uh, to do these things. Uh, just you know, buy food or whatever. I so, believe those already I mean, exist. They would be really simple. Those exist at the scale of the dog. I don't know if they exist at a guinea pig scale. Right, but you know, something that also includes a video camera and. Yeah, I mean that's um, also a thing for dogs, cats. Yeah. Uh, let's think. What's a better answer? You might be special in that you care about your guinea pig that much to get a camera to watch them while you're gone. Uh, what exactly was your question, if I can make anything? Anything in your house smart. It doesn't have to exist right now. Just anything in your house. Can it be a combination? Sure. So what, I guess what I'm asking is, does it have to apply to one thing, or can it apply to... I suppose it could apply to multiple things. I, I don't want you to say everything. Well, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've always wanted is a way to, a way that would help me standardize, a way that would assist sort of the standardization of my morning routine. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's a combination of things. Right now I have one of these cool light-up, like sunlight um, simulating alarm clock things. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that helps uh, with the wake up. Okay. Um, but there's, there's so many different things that are part of my morning routine, you know, right now, including, um, uh, taking a sleep survey and checking that data has been recorded properly, uh-huh. um, by our sensors. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I guess this would be a system that also allows for, uh, it to be augmented with additional things, you know. Um, yeah, I'm surprised well, that, or maybe maybe it is integrated. And I just don't know it. That Google Home or Alexa don't have a a routine thing where you just set up. Hey, uh, every morning, can you do this for me? I don't think Google has that. Maybe they do, but I well, I think it'd be different. Yeah. I think it wouldn't just have to. It wouldn't just work through an AI assistant. I don't think. Well, I think you'd like, need other cues. Have to like push things to your phone. And yeah. Such. That's fine. Oh, Google woke up. Hey. <laughs> I must have said something that woke her up. Um, okay, okay. I think that'd be pretty cool. It'd probably be worth an exploration at some point to even consider what what sort of things would work through our morning routine. Um. Yeah, so that's one thing, a second thing. And a third thing is that I think is going to be really fascinating for the future is a way that your home, which we've kind of discussed a little bit, but way, a way that your home expresses its identity externally. Um, so not just to you, but to all the people around you. Um, and so one way, you know, like people decorate their windows in particular ways or have uh, curtains, but none of those really necessarily say much about you. Okay. Um, like curtains, at least. But if there is a way in which your you could express your identity through your home, hmm. uh, ex, ex, as an exterior beyond uh, thing. landscaping, beyond painting, it, beyond the really superficial stuff, I guess that 
Um, beyond the stuff where it just expresses a home, but where it expresses you. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, it's like, this is, it's sort of making it more literal than analogous, I guess. Hmm. So I guess what I would say right now is your home, th- their home is like this. So they are like this. Right. Versus their home looks like they are, I guess their home embodies them. Interesting. I could see how that'd be kind of creepy too. Yeah. But I mean, I guess a lot of these technologies could be really creepy. So, I mean, if you would have told people a hundred years ago that we're willing to give up all this information about our lives, free apps, I'm sure they would say that's pretty creepy. Yeah. Everything is creepy. Yeah. It's whatever you're used to. Yeah. So, okay. For me, I'd say I would love to have smart walls. I'd love to be able to touch the wall and have it do something for me. That's that'd, be, a, that'd be super cool. That plays a role in this book, which nobody the, on the podcast can see. The Dark Forest? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, smart walls would be great. All of your all your walls is a giant touch screen somehow. Maybe it doesn't even have to be a screen. Just kind of a giant touch sensor. That'd be super cool. What would you do with it? Uh, you wouldn't need light switches. You wouldn't need uh, you wouldn't need volume knobs. You wouldn't uh, unlock my door. But you lose so so you lose all those things in the process. I don't care if I lose a light switch. Maybe the lock would be nice to be able to physically do. Uh, or or would, or would you just maintain the action of locking something? And and, and it's sort of the lock sort of comes out of the wall but you never actually have to I think it'd have to it be it never actually has to exist in and of itself. Yeah. I mean I wouldn't mind gestures to do all these things, right? I'm not gonna miss uh, having a light switch. I'm not gonna miss having a volume knob. I'm not gonna miss turning my TV on and off with a remote. You know industrial designers might <laughs> yeah well yeah, I don't know. There's still going to be physical things in the world that you're yeah. going to need, right? Um, I mean, I think, I think, honestly, I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'd love to just touch things and, and, and you know, make them work. I, I don't like talking to Google. No offense to Google. I'd rather just touch a wall. More intuitive. It's more intuitive. More, I don't I have mean, to like talking. Talking's getting there, right? Yeah, but talking is still like I have to say like "Hey Google" or "Okay Google" to activate it. I can't just say go. Google because I say that in natural conversation. That, and I have to raise my voice enough so that Google can hear me, and I have to make sure I enunciate enough. And sometimes wow. Google doesn't. So you know, hard. <laughs> well, sometimes Google doesn't register my voice. I think I might be too quiet. You know, I don't want to speak loudly in the morning or when I'm going to bed. I don't want to yell at. Yeah. I don't want to yell at Google. But I gotcha. I can just touch a wall. That'd be great. Like this gesture does whatever. No. I guess you'd have to be careful about uh, in accidental versus intentional gestures, but you know. Yeah, there's a machine learning algorithm for that. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. The new version of there's an app for that. There's, there's, there's an algorithm for that. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, 
I got another question. How much, what are we on on time? Uh, 32 minutes. All right. Maybe this will be the oh, last, last one. question. No. All right. Unless you have another one. No, this could be our last one. All right. So what is your take on hobbies? Oh, um, okay. I think I may have asked you this, or Robert. I asked someone this. Um, so I have, I know I have hobbies that are, that sort of become invasive in, in the work that I'm trying to do. Uh, so where like reading sci-fi books has become very influential, I think, in, um, helping ideate. Uh And so that's, so that's one hobby, which is like productive in a way, but I also have play video games where it's completely non-productive for yep. myself. Um, I guess my question is, is do you often see your hobbies uh, becoming part of your production? Do I often see my hobbies? Or do you, how, or um, maybe that's not a good question. No, uh, I, I guess, how do you define a hobby? Is reading a hobby? If I'm just like reading things, then sure, it becomes part of my production. Uh, I'd like writing to be more of a hobby, and I definitely do do it when I have time. But your keyboard making. Oh, my keyboard making. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting with the keyboard making. Um, but the, my, my point here is that like the keyboard making started out as something that was completely unrelated. Right. Right. And it's become something where you're starting to see connections and right. usefulness in the knowledge. Um, yeah, that's where I was kind so, of going with So that. really where I'm kind of going with this, and similarly for myself with this sci-fi stuff, um, the stance I take is I found myself trying to connect what I'm doing in my hobbies to what I'm doing for work, quote unquote, um, as, as being meaningful. And do you think that's natural that we try to do that? I think Um, so. I think, I think it is because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to talk about, you're going to, you're going to think about what you know. Right. And if if that's what's on your mind, you're, that's the connection you're going to make. Right. I don't see how you can separate that. I think, there's always going to be some connection because you're going to be thinking about something. And and for me, the keyboard making, learning about how a, a key matrix works, um, learning the concepts behind that, like I'm thinking about it. So naturally when I'm thinking about something else, or looking for a concept that's, and trying to make something work like, you know, a circuit work, and some of these like kind of DIY electronics projects, that's what pops into my head because that's what I know. That's what I've been thinking right. about. So yeah, I think it's natural. Right. So it's you also it sort of molds you into becoming this mini interdisciplinarian and interdisciplinarian, right? Yeah, it makes you more interesting where, person. Um, where you have this Hopefully. keyboard thing that is really involved. And it's really probably not anyone's actual career. I mean, for the most part, there are people, but you know, a lot like a lot of the people that would take on this stuff are probably hobbyists. Yeah. Um, and you sort of get this many interdisciplinary uh, network set up. Yeah. Where it almost it almost sets you up where you, you should just take on as many sort of different hobbies and interests as you can. 
to build this really interesting network. I guess. Well, I think that goes down to, I don't know how much you're going to do that, right? At a certain point, you're going to be interested in this, and you're going to be doing that a lot, and maybe eventually you'll get less interested in it and do something else more. Right. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, I don't know. I see what you're saying. I'm not sure you want to take on a whole lot of different things all the time. But yeah, I don't know. At the same time, it may be over a course of a lifetime. It's good to have a multitude of hobbies to, you know, if you get bored of one, do something else. Right. I think the other so, thing... Oh, go ahead. No, you got it. I was going to say, the other thing about hobbies, you bring up, like, video games versus reading sci-fi. That's one thing I struggle with, is, like, how do you balance that time? Right? Because... Especially if you're working 40 hours a week, like you come home, you're exhausted. Some days you're like, well, I want to do one hobby. Some days you want to just kind of veg out and play video games right. um, or watch TV, watch your binge, watch your show on Netflix. You know, I think we're all guilty of most of those things. Maybe some people don't play video games or I don't know many people who don't watch TV, though. Um, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. even if it's not broadcast television. Right. But I think... Yeah. It's finding a balance between, like, you want, you feel happy to a certain extent when you're being productive, when you're doing things that you quote-unquote should be doing, like writing, reading, learning, yes, yeah. bettering yourself generally or bettering the world. But at the same time, you can't do that all the time, right? Right. You can't always be clocked in, locked on to some task. You're going to lose your mind. You're, yeah, your brain's going to melt. <laughs> so I would like, think so. Probably for most people. There's probably some people that can do that. but Yeah, but you're going to burn out at some point. I, I, I definitely think you're going to burn out at some point. No matter who you are, you're going to burn out at some point. And yeah. Like I've gone from a point where there are definitely times where I feel bad playing video games because it's like I actually had the energy today to do something productive, and I chose not to. Yeah, but I've kind of gotten over the fact sometimes when I'm playing video games, watching TV, reading a book, you know, where I'm just like, that was a good use of my time because I'm kind of feeling recharged, refreshed, right? Even though I wasn't I mean, productive. There's there's a lot of television or movies that I've I've been able to find myself being productive with, and definitely books. I've almost always felt productive reading a book. Yeah. Um. Video games, I guess you could say, are sort of my guilty pleasure. Yeah. And terrible Netflix series. <laughs> Netflix series. Oh. Um, so those, yeah, those are definitely something that I would veg out on. And I don't see any value in trying to link that together. But I guess my, I guess one of my questions was, should I try to find that value or if it, or it's like you're saying, it's just, it's just not worth it. Well, I feel like there's value in everything, right? Like if I'm playing, uh, for instance, Overwatch, to a certain extent, there's value in, in communication and teamwork and thinking on your feet, right? Because you are playing with five other people on your team simultaneously. So I think there's, for the most part, there's always some sort of transferable skill. It's just like okay. there may not be quite as much of a transferable skill in some instances right and right then, but if your intent in that is to veg out then you probably don't really care about that skill anyway well it's kind of a side product of doing it no yeah so it, it 
maybe if you're not using your mind super intensely, but you're still using your mind. And maybe it's a subconscious thing at that point. Who knows? Maybe it's not. Maybe everyone actually veges out. Maybe I'm just spouting stuff that I don't actually practice myself. But Well, I mean, some people make video games their career, and that's... Right. You, you probably couldn't say that they're just vegging out. No, they probably have some other outlet or they just enjoy video games so much that they're always somewhat working or yeah. on task. Yeah. Working out is too. Do you count working out as a hobby? Yeah, that was one I was going to ask about. Um, that's I, I, something I don't enjoy. Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things where you, like, you start doing it and you hate it until you do it. And then when you're in the middle of it, it's a little more enjoyable. Yeah. That's how I feel anyway. And some days I just I, need to work out because I just get so restless. I'd just much rather play a sport. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't always get... That's what sucks about being an adult, right? Yeah. It's harder to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay. Do we have a takeaway? Anything? Um... Takeaway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Not really. I I think it was kind of just a fun conversation to have. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll throw some things in the show notes so that we know what we talked about. And, um, you have show notes? Well, I, I, once I started posting these things and realizing that there is a space for writing... I figured I should probably at least post a skeleton of show notes so that, you know, oh, gotcha. keep track of these things. People know what's on the show. I think it'll be helpful. Yeah. Hopefully we can post links and things too that we have. Um, so. Wait a second. I think we do show notes on iTunes as well. Well, I think iTunes just takes our show notes from there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. You got it here. Yep. Okay. So I think in the future we'll start posting any links to articles or books that we referenced or... You oh know, yeah. Things of that nature. How much space do we have to include stuff? I think a lot. Okay. I think like someone like Freakonomics. I think Freakonomics posts their entire transcript on there, but okay, we don't have to do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll post general information. All right. Well, All right. it was actually Good. almost a full-length episode. Uh, we're at forty-two <laughs> minutes. So, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you Sunday. Well, we'll yep. probably post it Monday, but conversation Sunday. Good chat.